Morning friends at St. Mark. My name is RJ Grunwald and I'm a pastor at Faith Troy and we're in the Metro Detroit area and I'm so thankful that because of the power of technology in the midst of um, this crisis going on in our country that I'm still able to be able to preach with you today and I'm, I'm able to do that actually all the way from Michigan and so I'm excited to do that. I also want to say that as a church, you are incredibly blessed with an amazing pastor. Matt is a friend of mine, and there are a handful of pastors that I highly respect in the way they lead, the way they communicate, and the way they care for people, and Matt is one of those um, individuals. And so I'm thankful for the work that God is doing in your midst um, and, and getting to watch from a distance and seeing what St. Mark is up to in the Houston area. And I can't wait to see what God has in store um, for all of you in the midst of all of this. Today we're continuing working our way through the book of Galatians. As followers of Jesus, there is a freedom that comes with being a follower of Jesus. Not a pressure to fit a particular mold, although sometimes you might feel that. Not a list of requirements to be on the inside, although people might often think that's the case. Not even a particular set of ideas and actions you must take. Freedom. Freedom right here and now to be exactly who God made you to be. The problem, though, is that when most people think of the church, freedom is not what comes to mind. And maybe that's surprising to you because maybe you think of freedom. You think of the freedom that you have because of Jesus, because of forgiveness. But most people, when they think of Christianity, that's not what comes to their mind. I asked a number of people to share with me in, in only six words what their experience of Christianity was, to give a six-word story. John, a, a former Catholic who's a abuses from his childhood were never dealt with, wrote in six words his own memoir, every head bowed, every eye closed. Taylor remembered the preaching she heard every week, die to self, fail, try harder. Another said, we don't want the real you. Nothing like freedom. In an article in The Atlantic, a student from Northwestern University was interviewed about her own experience within Christianity, and she said the connection between Jesus and a person's life was not clear. In other words, the Jesus she heard about had little to do with what she or her friends actually needed. And she's not alone. Good news. Freedom is not what comes to mind when many people think of the church. It doesn't come to mind for some because they've never heard anything good in the church. For others, it doesn't come to mind because what they heard is based primarily by what they see Christians post on Facebook. For others, they just don't really even know any Christians. Rod Rosenblatt, a former professor of theology, described the scenario by saying, For them, it feels better to have some earthly happiness as a pagan than be damned than it feels to be trying every day as a Christian to do something that is, a con is one continuous failure, failure and then be damned anyways. In other words, if religion is just going to rob you of your freedom, if it's just going to make you feel like a failure, if you're going to constantly be reminded that you're not good enough, you might as well at least have fun trying. The kind of faith, though, that Galatians described, what Galatians describes is for us is so different than what so many experience when they think about Christianity. Galatians describes a faith that is for struggling, doubting, and questioning people. Paul describes a faith that is not just for the well-behaved religious, but it's for the rebellious. It's a message that's not just for good and successful Christians, but it's for the failures, for the train wrecks. And so I want to jump into Galatians 2, and I want to look at some of this message. Paul writes this, he says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. 
and I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul says, I live by faith. And he says, let's not set aside the grace of God. Now, let me give a little bit of context to this passage, because just for before this section that we just read, we actually get a glimpse of Paul and Peter's conversation, or more accurately, their conflict. Peter and Barnabas, you see, have, had bought into this idea that if you're not Jewish, um, faith in Jesus is not enough, that you also have to adopt some of the cultural laws of being Jewish. You have to become culturally Jewish. And so Paul doesn't like that. And so Peter and Barnabas are saying, all right, well, you guys want to follow Jesus. I'm glad you believe in the gospel, the message, the good news. But now let me tell you some of these other things that you need to do, some procedures that need to take place if you want to be a part of our club. And Paul's like, that's not the gospel. That's not good news. In fact, if you are a, a, a non-Jewish man, that's really, really bad news. And now this could be encouraging or discouraging for you as, as you think about this going on in the early church because about 15 to 20 years into the early church, they're already debating about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what freedom actually looks like. It could be discouraging because even they, that, that in that short of time in, are already fighting about it. Or maybe it could be encouraging because when you look at the conflict that happens even within the Christian church today, maybe it's good to know we're at least in good company. And so Paul here provides a corrective. A corrective to some, uh, some of the leaders in the early Christian church, and he establishes some very clear terms to help them understand what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to believe in the good news? And so he talks about the law. He says, through the law, I died. And he's saying that the law, which is the commands, it's the do's and don'ts of the scripture. It's the parts of the scripture that confront us with our own sin. He says that doesn't give us life. It shows us the problem. It, it, it will point to what needs to be changed. It'll point to what needs to be corrected. It'll point to the problems in our world and the problems inside of us. But he says the law kills. He says the law killed me. It didn't give me life. But the grace of God, on the other hand, that's what gives life. The grace of God, he says, that's what I can't set aside. That's what makes the difference. He said, I didn't do it for myself. It wasn't my performance. It was a gift. It was a righteousness that wasn't gained from doing what I was told. It was a righteousness that came from the fact that Jesus did what was needed, that he did everything and simply handed it over to me. I love how the Passion Translation um, says verse 20, it says, My old identity has been co-crucified with the Messiah, and I no longer live. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And so Paul's writing, there's this identity that we can find based on our own pursuits of righteousness, or there's an identity that we can find from a righteousness that doesn't come from ourselves. See, everybody's pursuing righteousness, and maybe you don't want to describe it that way, but that's what happens. Righteousness is being in a right relationship. And so whether we're talking about the kind of relationship we have with the culture around us, with our friends, our family, our co-workers, we can either rely on ourselves for our right relationship, whether with God or with others, or we rely on something that comes from outside of ourselves. And there's no better world than our own to realize that pursuing your own righteousness will fail. 
Like, like think about it. Right now, even the right thing always often feels like the wrong thing. If you're trying to pursue your own righteousness, you're, you inevitably will fail at it. It's, it's impossible to keep up with the standards of righteousness if you're pursuing it on your own. Post this, stand for this, don't say this. You lose. The law is everywhere. Look like this, believe this, parent like this, wear this. And then you add into that the standards of the Christian message. And we see Paul and Peter debating what is the standard for righteousness. And so Paul says it doesn't come from these Jewish cultural laws that you have to that you, you're saying you have to add in. You don't work your way up into a status of righteousness. It comes from outside of you. And when you realize that, it changes things. Then you're focused not on the damage that standing for something could have on you. Because then you, you say what is right and do what is right, confident because you already know who Jesus says you are in the midst of whatever, however people might respond. But if you don't know who you are, you'll determine who you are based on what people think about your pursuits of righteousness. And so you'll decide what to say based on what other people might think of you. You'll determine what you're going to do or how you might live based on what will people think of me. Your self-worth will become, what does my church think about me? What do my friends think about me? And so that will shape our religious life. What, what, what do my coworkers think about my leadership abilities? What do my friends on Facebook think about the conversations I'm engaging in? And so you'll base your worth on some arbitrary list of rules. Maybe it's a list of biblical rules. Maybe it's a, another list of rules. But what if we flip that order around? What if the order gets flipped? If you know who you are because your old identity was crucified with Jesus, if, if the version of you that is based on your own performance was crucified with, with Jesus, that means your worth isn't tied up in what someone else will say. It's based on Christ. It's based on who Jesus says you are. And so your spirituality, your religious behavior, that doesn't define your worth. It's a result of your worth. Your pursuit in using your gifts in the workplace doesn't determine your value. It's a result of your value. Your speaking out against injustice, your, your courage to have difficult conversations is, is not for the sake of your worth. It's because of your worth. It's because of who Jesus says you are. And so then what people begin to see in the conversations we have as we live in light of those promises, what people will see in you is Christ who lives in you. Christ who lives in me, caring for the world around me. It has less to do with saying and doing all the right things and more to do with what it looks like for Christ to love other people. You are who Jesus says you are because of his righteousness, because of his effort, because of his work, because of his death and his resurrection it has nothing to do with your goodness your badness you are free to be who he made you to be you are free to love and to serve to use your gifts not for the sake of making yourself into something but because he's already made you something your freedom was purchased with his blood russell brand the celebrity, comedian, and actor most known for sex, drugs, and rock and roll, 
in his book about recovery from addiction, he wrote some incredible words that he believed described what is at the root of freedom. And he said, I've heard beautiful tales of forgiveness and its eminence into the spiritual life is often testified to. I've heard of mothers forgiving their son's murder, befriending the killer, learning to understand and love the person who has cost them so dearly, knowing that there is no freedom without forgiveness. In the prayer of St. Francis, he says, it's by forgiving that we are forgiven. And this means, I suppose, there is a direct connection between the clemency we express in the world that we experience. The old school staple in the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Freedom has a clause. It's forgiveness. Freedom comes from forgiveness. Freedom received Forgiveness received and forgiveness given unleashes freedom. Imagine what our world would look like if people lived like they were set free. Imagine the freedom of forgiveness unleashed in our culture. A culture that doesn't write anyone off. A freedom that doesn't cancel people out. A freedom that comes that says, I love you and forgive you. This is why Paul, as soon as he finishes this, he jumps in with harshness because the people he's writing to stop believing in this kind of freedom. Paul, in the beginning of chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And so he sets this stage with Peter and Barnabas trying to tie people back to something outside the gospel and adding burdens instead of freedom. And then he just lays it straight and says, You've been crucified with Christ. Your old identity that was burdened with guilt and shame and fear, that one's gone. And you have a new identity raised to life with Christ. You're not defined by guilt. You're not defined by the shame you experience. You're not owned by the things you fear. Your identity is in Christ. You are who Jesus says you are. So why do you go back to the very thing we're fighting against? Why do you choose to define your identity by your good works and your behaviors and your own righteousness? Why do you try to define yourself by what you do? Why do you define yourself by anything other than what Jesus declares you to be? Because Jesus' words have power. When Jesus says something, it becomes true. And so when Jesus says you are, you become who he says you are. And so let me ask this question. Who does Jesus say you are? You will have thousands of lies try to define for you who you are. The accusations you will hear every single day will be deafening. It's why it can be so frustrating for Paul that after hearing the good news, they still choose something that doesn't offer any hope. There are lies that will tell you you will never be a good enough. Lies that tell you it all rests on you. Lies that tell you you're alone. Lies that will tell you you aren't free. And guilt will reinforce those lies with a burden you can't bear. Shame will repeat those lies to you until you can't hear anything else. Fear will make you afraid of who you might become. But what if those lies died with Jesus? What if those lies stayed buried in the ground? Do you know how much the scripture speaks to who Jesus says you are? And I would encourage you not to just listen to those truths as abstract intellectual ideas, but listen for the voice of God to draw you into a specific truth of who Jesus says you are. Truths like you're forgiven, you're God's child, you're free. 
You are a bringer of joy. You are a truth teller. You are alive. You are not alone. You're strong. You are a new creation. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. You are adopted into God's family. You are holy. You are his friend. You are a city on a hill. You are beloved. You are free from fear. You are a freedom bringer. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are God's very good idea. You are outrageously loved. See, Jesus loves the person you are, not the person you wish you would be. Jesus gave his life so that by his death you might have life. Jesus puts to death the story you believe about yourself and rewrites that story saying, I give my life for you. Martin Luther, when he commentates on Galatians 2, He says it this way. He says, did the law, which are the commands, the to-do list, did they ever love me? Did the law ever sacrifice itself for me? Did the law ever die for me? On the contrary, it accuses me, it frightens me, it drives me crazy. Somebody else saved me from the law, from sin and death unto eternal life. And then, talking about the good news, Jesus, which is not the law, He says, Luther writes, read the words me and for me with great emphasis. Print this me with capital letters in your heart and do not ever doubt that you belong to the number of those who are meant by this me. When you hear the words of the promise that says this is for me, highlight it, circle it, underline it, believe you are who Jesus says you are. And so I want to pray And ask Jesus to speak to us and remind us of that truth. To ask him to put on our hearts the lies that we are believing. The lies that we believe about who we are. And we're going to ask that Jesus would remind us the truth of who he says he is. And so I invite you to to pray with me. And as I'm praying, what I'm going to do is I will say some words, but I'll also ask a question and leave some open space in that time. And in that open space, I would just invite you to listen to the thoughts and, and the, the ideas that come into your mind as we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And so uh, maybe we ask a lie and, and a, a, a lie pops into your head that, it, that it's the thing I hear is I'm not good enough. We'll listen to that and pay attention to why God has put that into our, our heart. And then we'll ask Jesus to speak truth to combat against those lies. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, who speaks truth to us, who reminds us who we are. We all fight against lies every single day, lies that get wrapped up in our identity. And that identity, we believe that old identity got crucified with you. But often the voice of the enemy continues to speak those lies to us. And so... Um, Jesus, we just ask you to speak in this moment. As we are here listening, as we are here worshiping, as we're here talking to you, Jesus, I just pray that you would bring to mind a lie that we keep believing today. And Jesus, as a lie comes to our mind, can you, can you bring to mind maybe a moment, a moment from this past week, maybe even a moment from this past year where we, where we believe that lie to be true? Jesus, we know that the law often reveals 
these lies that we believe. It reveals our own failures, our own inadequacies, our old identities. But Jesus, we also know that you don't leave us in those places, that you speak truth, that you speak truth about who we are. And Jesus, I just ask in this moment, would you remind us who we are? Jesus, we thank you for being a God who speaks truth to us, who loves us, who gives promises to us over and over again to remind us who that we are, that you love us, that you forgive us, that you are with us. Amen. Now as we wrap up our time, we're actually going to also, we're going to share with you a song from our Faith Troy worship team. Um, they've written some music as we have been talking about identity and, and hearing God speak these truths to us um, over this past season. So we're gonna share a song that they have, have written um, to help you remind, be reminded of the truth that, that Jesus says you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are his. And in the midst of those battles against the lies that Jesus continues to speak those things to us over and over again. I am so grateful to be able to share with you this weekend.